Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Please be seated. This is my commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. I can sit down. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Good morning, my beloved friends. I invite you to get comfortable, sit back, and listen to a beautiful love story. It was a bright, crisp Sunday morning in November 1787 in the city of Philadelphia. Absalom Jones and his friends were headed into Sunday services and they had become accustomed to, over the years, attending St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. What greeted them that morning was unexpected and in the end would change their lives forever. Rather than being shown to the seats that had been designated for the black membership along the back wall of the sanctuary, they were told that today they had now finally been assigned to sit in the newly constructed upstairs gallery in a section built just for them designated for blacks only. You see, what had happened was Absalom, along with his friend Richard Allen, had been so successful in sharing the good news of the gospel with others that they had increased the black membership of the church to the point where the vestry had made the decision to build a separate place for them to sit to avoid the possibility of having the whites have to mingle so closely to all the blacks during worship. By the time they had gotten there that morning, the service had already begun. And while this information was being communicated to them at the beginning of the service, Absalom heard the minister say up front that it was time to pray. So he and everyone in their group stopped listening to the instructions of the ushers and instead knelt right down where they were standing in order to pray. Well, that threw a wrench in things. And during that prayer, the ushers of the congregation then tried to pull Absalom and his companions to their feet and escort them upstairs. But they refused to move until the prayer was finished. And at the conclusion of the prayer, they slowly stood, turned around, and then walked out the door as a group, never to return again. Their response that morning is believed to have been one of the first protests by free blacks in America. That morning's events set a number of other events then in motion, resulting in the establishment 
of the free African society. That society, led by Absalom Jones and Richard Allen, was the first black independent organization in America. It was established as a benevolent self-help empowerment group, ecumenical in nature, reaching out to serve the spiritual and physical needs of both free and enslaved Africans in Philadelphia. It grew in numbers and eventually voted to affiliate itself with the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States. And Absalom Jones then began to serve as their first pastor. In 1794, seven years after that November morning, at St. George, the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania, accepted St. Thomas African Episcopal Church as the first African-American Episcopal parish in the United States. It would then take 10 more years, but with God's help, in 1804, Absalom Jones was ordained the first African-American to be ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church. And for the rest of his ministry, Jones worked tirelessly for the causes of freedom and justice for all. I think this is a beautiful love story. Don't you? Think about it. It's definitely not the kind of love story that will be told later this week amidst the backdrop of Valentine's Day greeting cards, or the kind of love story we might think of in the context of our own lives. But I want to suggest this morning that it is, I believe, at its core, a true love story. This is a powerful story pointing us, maybe even pulling us, towards the kind of love that Jesus calls us to live out in our lives as followers of the way. It's the kind of love that gives flesh and bones to the words of the gospel mandate we just heard. Jesus' words this morning sound as simple as maybe they are profound. Love one another as I have loved you. This is not the first time we hear these words in John's Gospel. Just two chapters earlier in John, Jesus is found washing the feet of his disciples, and he tells them he is going away soon and that they cannot follow. And then he tells them, perhaps after a moment of intentional silence, that the one thing, the one thing they must absolutely do once he is gone the only thing to guarantee their identity as followers once he is gone, the one thing that is required above all other things, love one another. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about this a lot. It's kind of a theological preoccupation of mine. What the hell does it mean to love one another, really? And if it is so important to those of us who follow Christ, honestly, why do we seem to fail at it miserably so much of the time? As a child growing up in a family that traveled extensively all over the world, 
I was exposed to many different religious traditions, and each in its own way seemed to embrace some version of sacrificial, self-emptying love. My context growing up informed my choices and my family influenced the life of faith that I followed, or not, at times. But even when I wandered down different spiritual paths, what seemed clear to me was the need to find a way to live out this morning's mandate from Jesus, to find a way somehow to love one another the way that God has loved us. As a young adult, I wandered away from church because it felt like a place of politics and hypocrisy, a place where even Jesus wouldn't want to hang out so much of the time, a place too concerned often with who was in and who was out, a place where worshiping things rather than serving Jesus through tending to the needs of others seemed to become the objective a place where only certain people had a voice and only certain people got a certain kind of respect. Love seemed to have very little to do with the church I experienced as a young adult. And now, as a, I struggled with this phrase, less than young adult, I still see us often dividing ourselves into precious affinity groups all of us falling short much of the time from honoring this gospel imperative, this one small but all-encompassing mandate to love one another. Frankly, I think much of the time we don't have a clue how to do this, and when we do, we often get scared and pull back, afraid of offending or rocking the boat of the status quo or the powers that be. So where is the good news in all of that? If we can't make it up ourselves, what should we do? I believe these are the times when stories like those of Absalom Jones and Richard Allen give us more than just a compelling narrative. They actually become the lifeline, a kind of spiritual talisman that we need to garner courage and confidence from. Absalom Jones's story is a love story because he let this kind of gospel love lead and guide and direct him. He faced rebuke and rejection by living out the kind of love willing to lay one's life down for another. Absalom allowed his love for truth and freedom to conquer what must have been fear on that Sunday morning in Philadelphia. He, like so many others in our history, found courage to resist the powers and temptations of conformity in this world and lived instead according to a kind of love that didn't yield to anything less than full humanity, full freedom, and full dignity. The story of Absalom Jones, when read alongside Jesus' mandate that we love one another, has the power for me to inspire us all today if we too can only be bold enough, even every once in a while, to resist the temptation to hear it as a quaint telling of a story from days gone by. What if we can let it inspire us and push us out of our own comfort zones and pull our heads collectively out of the sands of complacency 
and see where and how the brutality of racism is still trying to kill acts of the Spirit every day all around us. Absalom shaped his response to the gospel, and we are being summoned to do no less. The task of changing the world through this kind of love will remain elusive to many until and unless we wrap our heads and hearts around this mandate. This is not an easy love or a love that comes without a struggle. The work of loving each other as Jesus loves us is much harder, much messier, much more mind-boggling than I think we really want to admit. This love that Jesus radiates and describes, as far as I can discern, is love demonstrated in behavior that echoes the truth, humbly, yet forcefully, recognizing and celebrating nothing less than the full humanity of every human being. I began this sermon suggesting that we would hear a love story. But now at the end, I want to tell you that there's a second love story this morning. But this love story isn't finished yet because it's the one that you and I are writing together here at Trinity. Fortunately or not, Jesus doesn't provide us with an explicit instruction manual for how to go about writing the rest of our love story. What he does provide, though, is far greater if we trust in the promise that through practicing this kind of love, we will be recognizable to the world as lovers of Christ and children of God. And that, as Absalom Jones found out, is the kind of love story that can indeed change the world. I love you all. May it be so.